Preparing students for effective citizenship has long been a central mission for American public schools. Yet with voter turnout among young adults typically below 50%, even in presidential elections, and only 22% of eighth graders passing the National Assessment of Educational Progress Civics Test, there's reason to question if that mission has gotten lost along the way. One might even ask whether K-12 schools today can make a difference when it comes to their students' civic attitudes and behavior. A new research piece in Education Next confirms that they can, showing that attending a public charter school operated by democracy prep public schools nearly doubles students' rates of civic participation as young adults. What explains those eye-popping findings? And what lessons do they hold for American education? I'm Marty West, editor of Education Next, and I'm joined today by Seth Andrew, founder of Democracy Prep Public Schools and former senior education advisor in the Obama White House. You can find the article I mentioned studying the effects of attending a democracy prep charter school on voter registration and turnout, entitled A Life Lesson in Civics, on the journal's website at educationnext.org. And I'm delighted that Seth has agreed to answer a few questions about it now. Seth, welcome to the Ednext podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Marty. Long-time listener, first-time participant. <laughs> well, it's great to have you. Uh, you launched this network, the Democracy Prep Public Schools, with its first campus, a middle school in Harlem, back in 2006. At the outset, why did you focus your school model on civic education? Uh, well, that's the, the fundamental question that I think every education reformer and thinker should be asking, which is, why do we have public schools? And in uh, college, when I was still an undergrad, I ran for public office. I ran for state representative, losing narrowly by just 79 votes to a longtime incumbent. Uh, and in that process of going door to door and meeting with constituents, I realized how little even college-educated folks knew about our democracy, how little folks who claim to be deeply progressive and deeply politically involved understood about the workings of government. And it was an epiphany for me about the, the broken nature of civic education, that folks who had gone through the system at all levels, so this is folks who went to good public schools, bad public schools, college, no college, all had similarly low levels of civic knowledge and civic understanding, made me really shift my, my professional focus from thinking elected office was the root cause and all politicians are the root cause of the problem to thinking that civic education was the root cause. So I will say that the uh, Henry David Thoreau quote, there are a thousand hacking at the branches of evil for everyone who's striking at the root, really stuck with me at that moment. And I decided to focus on writing a charter school application back in 1999 for the first democracy prep uh, public school. We didn't get reviewed because there was a charter cap at the time, but uh, after couple of more years of teaching and leading uh, in traditional public schools and abroad, I came back uh, home to over Manhattan and started Democracy Prep with the Civic Mission. And what does this focus on the Civic Mission look like in practice? As I understand it, Democracy Prep students are known as citizen scholars. The schools follow the motto, work hard, go to college, change the world. But how do the schools on a day-to-day -day basis work to make this identity in their students a reality? Yeah, that's the real question for educators. It's not a theoretical one. This is not political science. This is, for teachers, a day-to-day -day practice question. And so the first thing we do is we break out the schema of citizenship and civic engagement into three elements, civic knowledge, civic skills, and civic dispositions. 
The first priority of uh, school, I believe, is teaching kids civic knowledge. If you don't understand how the system works, if you don't understand that there are three branches of government in the American system, if you don't understand the costs and benefits of a democratic republic compared to other forms of democracy, then you can't really be an engaged citizen. And the, the second level is the sort of skills and disposition elements are, are uh, uh, not as useful down the road. So we start as early as kindergarten thinking about civic knowledge, and that means you make word problems in math include things that are actually about civic content. That means that you valorize civics from the very beginning. Now, for a kindergartner, civics doesn't look like uh, the AP civics exam, but it does mean talking about community and our responsibilities to one another and the difference between uh, freedom from something and freedom to do something. We, we work on all of these ideas from a very early age, uh, as civic knowledge uh, builders. By the time students reach high school, uh, that, that form takes a much uh, greater focus on civic skills. In fact, high school students at the Democracy Prep Network have to meet 10 civic skills for graduation, or they have to actually demonstrate those skills in the real world. Uh, those include things like speaking in front of a public body, having your opinion published in a in a publication, having uh, recruited 100 followers to a cause of your choice. And, and many more. And so the actual civic skills are not theoretical, but practiced. And then the last test is what your study or, or what the, the study that EdNext reports on is really most uh, fulfilling about is, do we actually inculcate our students with the dispositions for lifelong citizenship? And the early indications are yes, but I'll tell you, I think there's still a lot of room to grow. Now, there's often a debate in the civic education world between those who place greater emphasis on knowledge of American history and government, of how the political system works, and those who seek to cultivate a disposition in their students to be activists, so-called action civics. Where do you see the Democracy Prep Public Schools coming down with respect to this debate? Am I hearing from your prior answer that it's both and rather than either or? So it's unquestionably both and, but it's more nuanced than that because it's about a sequence. The idea that um, you would teach a kindergartner action civics is actually, I think, pretty foolhardy. The idea that you would only teach a 12th grader about the U.S. citizenship exam is also foolhardy. And the reason is because it's about gradual release, and it's about the arc of knowledge, skill, and disposition building from ages 5 to 18 that we're really trying to develop in our scholars over time. So the answer is both and, but it's not both and simultaneously. It's about building a thoughtful pedagogical arc from the beginning of the education to the end. Now, beyond its emphasis on civic education, Democracy Prep, like many other charter management organizations, is known for its demanding approach to student discipline. Uh, as I understand it, students receive merits and demerits based on their behavior on a routine basis, their consequences associated with that. And one question that raises for me is whether a school needs to be internally democratic in order to prepare students for citizenship, which I think is something of a common assumption among many in the civic education community. And what steps you take to ensure that the approach to student discipline in democracy prep comes off as authoritative rather than authoritarian? It's a great question, uh, and the first thing to understand is that uh, we believe that joy and rigor or joy and order are actually two sides of the same coin. You have to have both. 
So our students have music, art, and theater every day. They have field trips around the world. They are participants in some of the most exciting participatory learning experiences that you can imagine. And we also expect uh, high standards for citizenship and behavior. And those are not mutually exclusive. But the, the second thing to understand is that um, we are a little bit uh, different than a lot of other charter organizations in our DNA, which is that we believe that, that college and citizenship are dual purposes, and we don't uh, prioritize one over the other. Both of them are necessary for us to consider successfully accomplishing our mission. So the, the takeaway is that we think that democracy prep, which is very different from a generic prep, uh, is the, the mission is to prepare our students for success in democracy. That does not mean that we are running a democracy. And that distinction is really important, I think, especially in the progressive community. They conflate the ends with the means, and we believe that the end goal is to have our students be successful in democracy. We don't believe that that means we need to operate like a democracy. So let's turn to the study just published in Education Next. As you know, researchers from Mathematica Policy Research compared students who won the admissions lottery to attend the Democracy Prep flagship school in Harlem to those who applied for a seat but didn't win the lottery. And the bottom line is that attending Democracy Prep boosted voter registration by 16 percentage points, turnout by 12 percentage points, both of those huge impacts given the very low levels of electoral participation in the community the school serves. What was your reaction to the results? Um, I had a uh, a very mixed reaction to the results because on one hand I was thrilled. I think Brian and his team at Mathematica did a deeply rigorous uh, analysis with all of the, the, um, the caution and conservatism of a good researcher where they excluded lots of groups in their study, uh, especially in the early years where we had very small uh, enrollment populations. So I was thrilled with the rigor of the study. I was thrilled with the, the statistical significance and the outcomes. Uh, that we do have a, a causal effect on participation in our democracy. And the flip side of that is that I was deeply disappointed in the results because I felt like they weren't big enough. I felt like uh, the students and, and most of the students in the study I know by name, uh, the ones who are lotteried in, I should say, uh, and those students voted at much higher rates than their peers, but not at the rates that I would have expected them to as, as people that went through, um, you know, six to six or more years of democracy prep education. So I think uh, there's a long uh, way to go in terms of getting more participants in our democracy. And the other thing that's important just to say about the study is that this is a, an observable outcome metric that I helped uh, establish this RCT 10 years before we were able actually to conduct the study, but that we don't believe that democracy is the same thing as voting. That is one element of democracy. So I really want uh, follow-on studies and would encourage researchers or anybody who's listening to this podcast to reach out to me because we want to find out about additional qualitative indicators. Are our students participating in their community organizations? Are they serving on their homeowners associations? Are they participating in protests? What are the other aspects of democratic life that they're participating in, in addition to democracy, uh, as voting is only one indicator? Another wrinkle in the study's findings was that there was no impact on the participation rates among parents of democracy prep students, despite the fact that the network does engage in some programming for parents designed to sort of enhance their civic engagement. Did that finding surprise you? 
So it did surprise me, but actually it, it, it heartened me in a different way, which is the critics of public charter schools in choice always say, you know, you get the more motivated parents, you get the more, you get the quote unquote better parents. They use these awful terms like creaming or cherry picking, referring to students as cream or cherries. And we don't think of it that way at all. We think of our students and our families as participants who want a great education. And what the study finds is that our parents are literally the same in the randomized in and randomized out control groups um, if they participate or not in their democracy. Now, I am a little disappointed because I would hope that after having their student at a democracy prep school for years, it would rub off sort of intergenerationally upward. Uh, but that so far has not been the case, which means I think that organizations like democracy prep need to do more now to work with our families um, than, and, and not just our students. Our students have a 10-year delay from when they enter sixth grade to voting. Our parents can usually vote right away. Now, one other aspect of Democracy Prep's reputation is its tendency to expand rapidly. It's grown from serving 136 graders when you founded it in 2006 to roughly 6,500 students across 21 schools today. The network now has schools in Camden, New Jersey, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, San Antonio, Las Vegas, and the list would include the nation's capital had the organization not withdrawn control of a school it was managing in Southeast DC that was struggling a bit. The 74 million recently looked at that growth of the network and ran an article headlined, Democracy Prep's expansion woes raise questions about whether civics education can be brought to scale. What lessons do you draw from the network's efforts to expand to date? Uh, it's a great and, and fair question, and the two caveats I'll give before answering it are, number one, I am the founder, proud founder of Democracy Prep, uh, but I haven't had a formal role since 2013. Uh, and the important distinction there is that uh, the organization uh, has continued to grow in ways that I have not had my direct um, uh, involvement in uh, since I left and went into government in, uh, in 2013. So, you know, it is worth talking to other people a little bit about the, the direction and the decisions on those growth uh, decisions that I think the 74 captures relatively well. What I will say is I think that that headline is deeply misleading because it conflates two things. It conflates civics with growth. Um, and I don't think that what any of the democracy prep story tells is that those two things are incompatible. Uh, we grew democracy prep from 2006 to 2000. Um, uh, 13 at a much faster rate as a percentage of enrollment. I mean, we were growing at 100% student enrollment per year uh, for the first five years. And that included expansion in lots of different ways and, and schools across New York City. Uh, we believe the growth of this model is replicable. That doesn't mean that growing everywhere uh, is necessarily the right decision. Uh, because every market is different, uh, and every curriculum and state set of standards are different. And so there are growing pains from growing into new markets that I think Democracy Prep uh, has faced in the, in the recent years. And then the second uh, important sort of distinction I would draw is that the outcomes for um, Democracy Prep are very good in all of those places, including in D.C., where when we look at a growth metric, the reminder is that D.C. was a turnaround school of the lowest performing school in the city of D.C. Now, as uh, the CEO of Democracy Prep at the time said, the results uh, in that campus were not as good as we wanted them to be. I think that, that everybody would agree with that statement. The question was what the authorizer's metrics were. 
were they based on growth in parent satisfaction and student enrollment, or were they based on absolute proficiency? If you use the former, the school was doing quite well. If you use the latter, the school wasn't. And so I just don't want to conflate results as proficiency and civic engagement and growth as all the same thing, because they're really separate uh, challenges. And if we shouldn't conflate questions of the expansion of democracy prep with how best to bring civics education to scale, what are the most promising strategies to bring civics education to scale in the United States right now? Uh, so this is a really important question because democracy prep is not designed to be a solution for the entire system. It's designed to be an example of what innovative civic education can achieve. And the first thing that I worked on uh, was an effort, a policy effort, starting in 2012, to get states uh, to accept uh, and adopt the U.S. citizenship exam as a high school graduation requirement. Uh, that campaign called Citizenship First is something we launched with the efforts uh, of a lot of people in the civic ed community to try to get states to create a demand function to force uh, schools and school districts to remind uh, one another that civic knowledge at the most basic, basic level of the U.S. citizenship exam was an absolute minimum requirement for a high school diploma in America. And by creating that demand mechanism through policy, I think you have one uh, way to increase civic knowledge. In terms of uh, civic engagement and civic skills and dispositions, I think we do need to see more civics taught in middle and high schools around the country. But that doesn't mean a boring one-semester civics course requirement. It means about creating outcomes around civic skills and knowledge. Uh, so the distinction here is that lots of states have gone down a policy path where they now mandate um, X amount of civics per high school um, uh, experience. And I think that that's the wrong way to think about it. That's focusing on inputs as opposed to outcomes. Uh, I was recently meeting with someone talking about the democracy prep civic outcomes model and explaining that we actually don't teach, quote unquote, civics at democracy prep at all. Uh, there is no civics course. There is a course on the sociology of change. There is a course on economics. There is a course on uh, the American democracy in context. There's a senior seminar that puts the uh, once-a-week sort of college seminar format into students' uh, hands around civic engagement. There's a Change the World project. There are our Election Day Get Out the Vote campaigns. And all of these things lead to civic outcomes, as the Mathematica study shows, without actually being about a civics course input. That is what most people think of when they think of civic education in high school. My guest today has been Seth Andrew, founder of Democracy Prep Public Schools. You can find the article that sparked our discussion, A Life Lesson in Civics, at educationnext.org. Seth, thanks for being part of the podcast. Great to be here, Marty. Thanks. You've been listening to the EdNext podcast. If you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts so that you don't miss an episode. While you're there, be sure to check out our archive and, especially if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. It helps us find more listeners and more listeners to find us.